Hello, this is Matt Hale bringing you another Art Monthly talk show on Resonance 104 FM, or Resonance FM, I think I'm supposed to say. I always get it slightly wrong. Forgive me, folks. Um, if you're listening on podcast, great. If you're listening live on Monday, this is actually a pre-record. And in the studio with me is Dave Beach. Dave Beach is a, a critic, obviously, a writer, and an artist. And you'll think at the end of the, the, the feature, we just say, is an artist. But, Dave, you're actually... Are you a professor? I am. I'm a professor of art. Where, and whereabouts? In Sweden, Gothenburg. Gothenburg, brilliant. You've been there a couple of years now? I'm, yeah, I'm in my third year now. Third year, yeah, great. Well, you've written a feature for us in, in Art Monthly, um, and that's in the issue, which is April 4 and 5, for those who are listening and want to read it. And the idea of the show, really, is t- that we go through a feature, in this case, just one feature with Dave Beach, um, which sort of is the writer talking about what they've written about, which is a different take on the reading usually, but not completely in any way, but just it adds a different dimension, which can be good. And and this one is called, in Art Monthly, I Genius, I Robot. Um, I mean, it is about genius, fundamentally, and the concept of genius. Is concept the right word, Dave, to even apply to the word genius? I tend not to use the word concept. I, I prefer to use the word category. Because if we can talk about categories, then we're not necessarily talking about ideas, but categories of things sometimes. So um, I would say that we have a category of genius, and, and it, it has certain features. Because it's, it's certainly been applied, the word, in different ways, or it's got a history, definitely, hasn't it, which yeah. you talk about. But before we go any further, I was, when I first saw this, I thought... Why is Dave writing about genius now? Now, it doesn't mean to say in any way that you shouldn't be, but I, it's a word which you do say, I think, somewhere in, in the piece, that it's known, it's a kind of, it's word slightly disparagingly used. I mean, people don't apply it to themselves as artists, say, for instance, now, that I'm aware yeah. of much. Yeah. And you, you do say that, don't you? Yeah, I say, I say that the time has has passed since we could call ourselves artists without feeling embarrassed or, um, or you know, in, compromised in some way. So, um, yeah, we, we're living in, in, in an era in which um, the genius has been uh, either eliminated, we might say, or suppressed. So the argument in this article is that um, the, the concept of the, of the genius was, was simply transposed into the concept of the artist, um, so the, the concept of the genius is older than the concept of the artist, or the uh, categories. Okay, so because I think you talk about the, the genius being in, in the 18th century. Is, I mean, when did the word genius? When did when well, is it very very it's, old? It, there, there, there are different histories. So as well as it having a history, yeah, it also has different histories, and it also has counter a counter history or a history of, of being countered, which is to say that. The, you know, w- one of the major aspects of the history of the category of genius is that it has been critiqued and rejected and um, and subjected different phases of critique. Um, <clears throat> so, so part of the, the the issue of dealing with the category of genius is to deal with the, the, these very complex. Um, Historical confrontations, really, between different. Uh, different yeah, they are complex. I agree. I mean, this this you, you refer to a lot of different people, yeah, and and quite a long period of time in in this piece to do that, don't you? Yeah. I mean, uh, t- talk about this. I mean, there, there's a romantic 
um, that's pe- the last period. Is that, that, that's like today. That would be our favoured version of the genius, because that allows us to distance ourselves from it as much as possible. Right. Um, so, um, but what I've been I, this this is um, it's not necessarily going to be in. Uh, the book that I'm writing at the moment, but one of the I'm working on several projects as usual. But one of the books that I'm um, working on right now is called Art and Post Capitalism, and it's for Pluto Press. And um, the reference to post capitalism is like the original title for this, which you've got on your notes there. I noticed. Yes. Was uh, the genius of left accelerationism? Yeah. So this this is this is really a way of. Looking at that left accelerationist uh, discourse from a different angle, and that is to say, you know, if we, th- you know, th- if we go back, say, to the 18th century, then the genius was how was was built into the uh, the what we might call kind of generally kind of libertarian ideas of a positive future. So a positive future would be where the genius could um, be free, independent, uh, and, that, you know, if you could universalise that, in other words, if everybody could be a genius and genius was no longer a privilege, then we would have, a, you know, a society that, that we could be proud of, that, you know, and we could talk about progress and so on so and so forth. So it was an aim? It was an ideal in a way, I think. I yes. think the, ge- the genius was, was drawn out of real experiences. So, you know... Uh, Philosophers and commentators and journalists would meet scientists like Newton or, or, or uh, painters uh, and they would observe them. And they, and they, they observe them to, for instance, um, they, they work in a, in a very um, pressurised kind of way. So you would, you, know, you'd, you would work frantically, they would say, for, for maybe uh, three hours. But then rest for the rest of the day, have nothing to do. So there was this sense of, of having freedom to determine when was the right time to work and when was the wrong time to work, and when it was the wrong time to work, you didn't work. So there, so there was real freedom in the activities of these people. But also what made someone like Newton uh, a, uh, a paradigm of the genius was that he thought new things. So the, so the concept of the genius is really a way of thematizing modernity. So thematizing scientific progress and then later not, not, not what was considered to be artistic progress but artistic modernity of newness and novelty and so forth. So, so news is critical. If you're going to be a genius, you've got to come up with new things. Well, that's... Well, that's what they... That's, it's true, but, it's, but that idea has been very misunderstood, especially by postmodernists, I think, that if you go back to the 18th century um, discourse on, on the genius, then the, the concept of the new is very interesting because they, it, wasn't, it wasn't the new novelty of, uh, of, mar- of the marketplace, as, as we understand it. In the, in the 18th century, and, and, and especially if we go back a little bit further to the last half of the 17th century, art was understood as always um, based on some form of copying or mimicry, of, um, of learning from uh, other um, things. Now, at one point, that, that means copying other people's 
prints and and busts of uh, of ancient sculpture and so forth. But it comes to me in copying from nature as well. So copying becomes a, a a really important part of what art is. And they therefore define the genius not as someone who uh, who creates the uh, the new, but of the one who creates the original. And the original is that which we will then go on to copy. So you're not really a genius until someone else copies you. Okay. So, you, so you you have created the origin for another for another another person's work, and that, and so the genius is not understood in the same way, and the new is not understood in the same way that we. So when we criticise the genius as being this kind of mythical origin of the new, we kind of we're abstracting it out of those the actual processes that they were observing at the time. Which is, you know, if, if you get a, a, an artist like uh, Jacques-Louis David, who ends up with a, with, a, with a massive school around him of painters who paint like him, then you could, you could use the word genius almost in a descriptive fashion, because you could say that he is the source of their work. Yeah, it's a school of yeah. David. Yeah, and he is the, you know, it's not as if you're saying something absolute that he didn't come from anywhere. Not, in, not at the time, anyway. You, you'd be saying something very specific about his relationship to where other people take their starting point, and they take their starting point from him. So, in a sense, to call him a genius is really to say something about somebody else. Right. Clever. You mentioned somebody called Edward Young. Hmm. And I've written beside that 18th century. So, in other words, he was writing something called Conjectures on Original Composition in 1759. He's the first Brit to talk about genius. Um, and it, it, it's his um, definition of genius that I've just been right. uh, elaborating, really, right. which, is, which is that the genius is the source of other people's originality, of, you know, becomes the origin of what other people um, copy. That copying was, was just seen as inevitable. There yes. has to be copying in art. You're either copying somebody else's work or you're copying something in the world. And so copying is taken for granted. The question is, what do you copy and why? And the, in, a, in a sense, what they were saying is the, 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 the individual that breaks the mould, the individual that, that, um, that does not follow tradition the individual that doesn't follow rules, the individual that finds another way of doing things, if they then become the, 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 the source of other people's work, then you would count that person as a genius. And so they're, they're, it's part of a, a, a much broader historical condition in, in which the, um, the artisan trades, the, uh, the guilds and so forth, are, are, are coming under more and more critical scrutiny. And one of the things that the, that the intellectuals of, of this uh, era are trying to do is to discredit the, the crafts and the guilds and the artisans. Um, and one of the ways that they discredit them is to say that they work entirely according to rules and, uh, and what they called copybooks, which is to say that, you, you know, the pattern that you're going to put into someone's ceiling is already down on a piece of paper in a book, and then you just copy it and you put it onto their ceiling. Uh, and th so there was no individuality, there was no, there was no uh, talent, there was no uh, genius. 
whereas there are these other kinds of practices which they which came to be called the fine arts and these weren't just about uh, following tradition and following rules. In fact, you had to have a certain license with rules in order to produce the fine arts. That is to say, you you had to, if you if you want to use a, use a modern uh, word for it, you had to improvise. You have to kind of make it up rather than just follow the tram lines the right. way that they've been set by tradition. So so this is a kind of very heavily coded way of talking about the difference between art and work. Yeah, I was going to say, work is coming up big time in this, isn't it, really? Because yeah. you're saying one guy doesn't work, really. The, the genius is really an idea of a worker that doesn't work. A yes. worker that, because you had a phrase somewhere, which I can't find now, but yeah. it was quite a complicated sentence which you kind of get your head around. <laughs> a worker that doesn't work. What? Yeah. So, so, so one of the things that, they, that, that the genius is trying to theorise is of, in a, in a sense, you, I, I, came, I heard someone use this phrase in a very uh, ordinary situation uh, this morning on the train. They used the word laboured. And laboured is a negative yes. thing. It's like you're saying, you, you know, if, you, if, 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 your, if your dinner looks laboured, Mm. You know, then mm. it's like someone's put too much work yes. into it, or they've, they've tried too hard. it together, or something. Yeah, and, and, and if something it. if something looks or feels laboured, yeah, then there's something wrong with that. And I think that what the genius is in the in the 17th and 18th century is this is this is trying to, in a sense, take. Uh, trying to recompartmentalize labor as the negative part of what you do and then genius becomes the name for the positive part of what you do and and in a sense then there's this kind of rush of of aesthetic thinking towards the genius because that is the labor that doesn't labor it's 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 it, in a sense it's like it doesn't show its labor you can't see the labor you don't feel the labor it just feels like, it's like magic. fresh kind yeah. of like so, like a drawing, say, where the, it was seemingly easily done and with no uh, lots of over exactly. rubbing out and exactly. and obviously an etching and a printed thing is a you can see there's a much heavier process. That, that's kind of thing. Yeah, I mean. and and you know, and the, the metaphors at the time are all to do with nature. You know, so it's like something springs forth. You right. know, something just happens. Something erupts. Yeah. You know. So and 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 obviously this is this is this is before the modernist concept of expression, but there's, there's a sense of, of something being expressed rather than drawn out, rather than, um, rather than uh, coming out of a, a, a skill as coming out of your personality instead, almost without being mediated by skill. So that so this yeah. so this it is, does sound close to the word magic almost. Yeah, yeah. There's there's a, there, there is a there, there's a sense of mystery. Yeah, you know, and mystery is absolutely essential to the 18th century concept. I mean, of did the genius. genius even know how they did it? Supposedly, no. were they absolutely supposed to like not know how they were doing it? Well, this is this is also a way of thinking about what's wrong with the guild system, what's wrong with the artisan traditions of uh, of handicraft, which is that. You know, it took seven years to learn how to be a carpenter, or seven years to learn how to 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 do any of those crafts. That was that was um, something that was taught. And the the fine artists were not in in the in the the, uh, the French academies, for instance, in the seventeenth century. They didn't actually teach you how to paint. 
So the curriculum in, 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 um, in, the, in the academies was life drawing. You know, and you'd, you'd start by, by copying uh, etchings and then you'd, you'd work your way up when you'd copy sculptures and eventually you'd sit in front of a, a live real model. Person. A real person. And you'd draw them from life, which was, yeah. which was uh, a, a kind of privilege to be able to do that. Um, and um, so they, they, but they didn't teach you how to do that. You had to show that you could do that. Just putting the hours in. So, you, so you, you would keep doing the drawings until the, the master or the academician or the senior would then come along and say, yes, now you can move on to the next stage. Were they geniuses? I don't think most <laughs> of them were. Um, but they, but they, they had a kind of um, an antagonism towards learning and teaching. Um, and, and the reason that they were antagonistic to it is because they imagined that in the guild system... Everybody was taught how to do things. Now, if you go back and examine what the, what the artisans said about what they were doing, they said that they didn't teach either. Oh. They were mysteries. So, so that's a misconception. It's a misconception, on, but, it, but it's a misconception that is constitutive of what came to be art because by projecting onto the artisans that they were teaching by rote, they then created this alternative system of not teaching which then became the system of the art school where, you know, as, as, as you know, you go to art school and nobody teaches you anything. They talk to you about what you're interested in. <laughs> it must be great to do that. <laughs> as long as the pupils are interesting. It says here, for, for young, the genius is hostile to handicraft and manufacturing because it exemplifies a modus operandi that cannot be planned, taught, mechanised, automated, broken down, Divide. There's ten things that it, that it can't bring down into. Your maths is better than mine. But yeah, well, I, I just thought there were so many. I better count them. But there's like that's they're the things that are the taught things. I mean, outsourced. I thought was quite interesting. I mean, it's not. It, you know, they're not allowed to to even get someone else to do the work for you. That's right. So, so you can't go home and rest while someone makes something. One of you. one of the other things about the um, the guild system that the, the the concept of the genius was um, rejecting was was the presence of uh, apprentices and journeymen and other kinds of assistants within the workshop, and so the idea that somebody else can make your work was one of the things that was rejected. So. Um, it was it was rejected on principle, not necessarily on, in practice. So painters and sculptors continued to have assistance, but but the the myth that they worked alone became stronger and stronger. Um, so the the idea is that the uh, and this is what the the collectors want as well is that they want the work done by the genius, yeah, not by the genius's assistant. So then you do get this um, studio of. Yeah, uh, I mean, not meaning to digress. Yeah. Now you do get Damien Hurst's and I know mm. Gerald Hemsworth, who used to teach at Goldsmiths. People, some of my fellow students, one of them in particular, I can't remember, used to paint his paintings. And Damien, obviously, we all know, everyone knows, he has a school or a factory of spot painters and stuff, doesn't he? So it's, there is a kind of carrying on of some of these old. Or, or the well, I mean, that's why I didn't want to digress. But is it, is it, does that overcomplicate your thread, as it were? Well, no, because because one of the reasons why I wrote this piece is because I was I was looking at left accelerationism and their um, and their celebration of of robotization. Yeah, we should probably and, say what that is and really, automation. Yeah. So um, Nick Cernicek and Alex Williams have have written the 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 left 
Accelerationist Manifesto, and they've written the book. Um, it's like Design for the Future or something something along those Sorry, lines. Yeah. I've forgotten what it's called. Don't worry. Um, and they, they, they want... A, a left version of the celebration of automation, and they want a fully automated communism. Now, a fully automated communism is one where the robots will be doing what we are, uh, what human beings, we might say, have been doing up until now, which is the work. And so when I was, when I was looking at that and thinking about what kind of future that would be, I started to think about the relation, you know, so not just how cool it would be to have robots to do all of the nasty stuff but what happens when you take the nasty stuff away from the human beings what kind of human being would i become if i didn't do any of the nasty stuff you know if i didn't have to clean myself if i didn't have to clean my house if i didn't have to do the dishes if i didn't have to wipe my own ass and so on and so forth so what if you take all of that away from a human being what does that human being become and i thought well maybe you become an aristocrat it does sound like that, doesn't it? Yeah. So then if you, look, if you go back and look at what aristocrats thought humanity was, what makes a human being human as opposed to being an animal, for instance, then you get something very similar, which is, you know, the, the old Arist Aristotle, Aristotelian idea that work um, is, 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 is a form... Work is always a form of slavery, even when it's not by a slave, and therefore it always erodes your humanity... Uh, and it's incompatible with freedom and it's incompatible with with a fully realised human being. So, in a sense, there was a relationship then between a kind of aristocratic ideal of not working and this left accelerationist ideal of not working. And I wanted to think about uh, how that relates to art because art in a, in a studio or even in a non-studio, a post-studio practice, involves some kind of labour. And, and, and so I was interested in thinking about that. And, that. and so the genius was a way of thinking about the aristocratic ideas around artistic production. So if the robot is, turns us all into aristocrats, then, then does it not turn us all into geniuses? So that was the original hypothesis. Yeah, and I can see the thread. The, 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 they're different things in a way, but they have so much in common in reality that you, you could put them together. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, just, it's like a kind of a science fiction idea, really, which is, which is let's imagine that we have fully robotization. What would happen? What, what do we become, mm. you know? And I think when you do work, then you have this... Um, I, I know I do. You, you have this fantasy of not working. But what if you've never worked and what if there's no possibility of work? Then what are your fantasies? To work, probably. But for the aristocracy of the, of the 17th century and, uh, and the 18th century, it seems like they had a different fantasy. The fantasy was to be a genius. And so it, it's neither to work nor to be idle, if yes. you like. I mean, I, the word has not been mentioned here is creativity. I mean, it really. I mean, the, you know, to be creative it isn't, doesn't necessarily involve stuff, physical stuff. It can involve ideas, can't it, I think. Mm. And that's something which is not, it's not, uh, not involved here, but it's something... And the other thing is labour. I mean, work and labour. This is going to sound like a crass question. Are they the same thing? 
Well, they are actually. I mean, they, they are really. If you if you read Hannah Arendt, she makes a big deal of the fact that uh, in in you know uh, in the Middle Ages or. Uh, uh, I, I can't remember how back, how far back she goes, but if you go back far enough, the word work refers to things. It's the work that you've made, and the word labour refers to the process. And so she says, so they are different concepts. But actually, she's they th- that may have been the case originally, but that's not how we use the word work and labour now. They are synonyms. Uh, so they they do mean pretty much the same. Yeah. Um, and I and I and I think that you get into all kinds of trouble trying to divide yes. them off. In I'm very way. good at that. But artwork is an interesting thing, isn't it? Because you often say artwork, then you, yeah, and you, then you say artistic labour. Yes, yeah. you do. You do. Yeah. Yes. Okay. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. So where are we now? My head's spinning slightly. To be frank with you, and, and you, you mentioned so many different people here. I mean, you've got Charles Charles Fourier. Um, the word freedom comes up a lot. There's a paragraph here with. I think, again, I'm counting in numbers, it's got about seven or eight, the word freedoms in. And, and what, what's, where does freedom fit in with, with well, with, with all of these things? I mean, obviously, the idea that you have, you have robots, the idea is it frees you up from work, and the genius was freed up from work too? Yeah, so... The the genius is a way of conceiving freedom in terms of activity, so not not a legal freedom, not 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 freedom as yeah, um, so not slavery. Well, so not slavery is one version of freedom, but the that that's a kind of late a later version of freedom. Right. You know. So so uh, if we if we go to a medieval version of freedom, then then freedom is freedom is what you're granted by the guild. So you have so so one at the same time when you get the freedom of the city, yeah. which is which is which is given to you by the guild, because you've 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 like uh, gone through your seven years. So you've now reached you, your skill ability. Yeah. So now there. so now now you're now you're recognised as being able to practice. When you 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 then have the freedom to, for instance, set up shop. And if you if you uh, if you have not gone through uh, an apprenticeship. Then you'll never have that freedom. So freedoms in, in in the Middle Ages were very particular things. Right. You were free to do this and free to do that. In the 18th century, freedom becomes very abstract and general, universal, and we're looking for a kind of uh, absolute freedom, a, a complete freedom. Uh, and that and, and that and so then freedom becomes something that the individual has. And the, the individual can express, and the individual can enjoy. Um, but so that's a very so it might different. Might be do with time as well, maybe having time, time, having time. Uh, yeah, and in that sense, to do what you want. And, uh, yeah, so so in, in part that's about time, but it's also about agency. So so somebody who's under instructions from somebody else would then not be free. Um, but the in 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 the genius, freedom is. Is not just the freedom to be able to choose to do something, because you could choose to do something standard, you could choose to do something traditional, and they're not the kind of choices that that they're after. What they're after is some kind of exemplification of freedom. So they want they want the choice in itself to be self-realizing. You know, so so which is when we get back to the concept of the genius. Yeah. Again. Yeah. 
So you, so so you 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 become who you are by the, through the choices that you make. Um, so so this is this is where the the um, the concept of freedom um, is is like a you can you can take it one of two ways. You can either say freedom is the content of the genius or that the genius is a codified way of talking about this new bourgeois version of freedom which is uh, which is emerging in in the in the enlightenment which which is not just a particular freedom but is freedom per se and what would freedom per se be you know um it's so so it's not just a kind of a formal thing you know that you have a right to do as you choose it becomes a, uh, a, a an emphatic thing so it has to be something that is um that embodies freedom that is that is free um freedom personified if you like can you give me an example well their example is the artist oh i see okay so just as straight just as straightforward as, as this actually defines the artist. I think. I think. That yeah, no, I, see, it, so, I see. So, so you know, there are there are there are competitors. You know, so so you you have the you know the freedom uh, of the uh, of of the person who is privileged. You know, so the the aristocrat who has freedoms, and there are the freedoms of the artisans as opposed to other kinds of uh, non-free like the slave. And so there, there are different kind of yeah. empirical versions of freedom competing at the same time, right. but the but this discourse on freedom wants something much more emphatic, wants something much more exemplary than that. Um, and um, and one of the one of the models that they chose to to uh, to exemplify freedom it was the artist. Gotcha. So that's then, and now now. Or moving after that, what comes? Where's freedom? Well, <coughs> travel to is it still the same? In, in order to, in order to, this is where the, the the question of the robot comes back in. I think, um, in order for the artist in the 18th century to appear to be free, they they must have already freed themselves from not just the artisan institution. Where, you know, where, where there were shared rules and, and limitations and constraints. You know, the guild would say you can only open your shop on a Tuesday, Thursday and a, and a Saturday. And if you open your shop on any other day, you could be kicked out of the guild, lose your freedom. Yeah. So they have to be free from that. But they also have to be free from other mechanical operations as well. So, they, so if, you, if, you, if you're still working in an artisan workshop and, you, you know, and you're grinding your own paints... You know, and you're making your own stretches, and you're stretching your own canvases, and you're doing a lot of physical work. Then, for the for the 18th century, that doesn't feel like freedom. So, what 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 happens during this period is that certain certain individuals that that have have been that are qualified that uh, as um, as tradesmen as as artisans start to produce paints. Ready-made for artists so to manufacturing. use. So manufacturing. So manufacturing takes over. 
So, you know, you, so then you get, for the first time, you get, like, standardised canvas sizes, which are sold by canvas suppliers to painters. You get standardised colours, which are sold to painters. So a lot of the things that they'd been doing in the workshops that, look, that made it look like what they were doing was manual labour is, is now outside the workshop. It's, and, and so the studio becomes just the part where you're making the work, not where you're preparing all the raw materials for the work. So you're freed up and from, so from, the, free, from the manufacturer of yeah, the stuff. So, so the painter looks free in a way that the artisan never looked free. And also the, the, the painter starts to look more intellectual because they're, um, they're not getting their hands dirty so much. They're, they're standing in front of their easel and Thinking. they're making their paintings. And, they're, yeah. and, you know, and the drawing part of it and the colouring part of it feels yeah. like it's... The fresh it's, part, yeah, it, as it, it that's the, that's the Yeah, so that's the talent part and the thoughtful mm. part and the intellectual part. And so, and so they, they have literally been freed from the mechanical operations of their craft. And that's a, I, I would say that that was a precondition for them being considered to be free. So there's a, there's, in a sense, there's a kind of real material freedom that allows them to appear to have this mythic freedom, the freedom to do as you, as you choose. Um, so what that means is that the, the operations that... that um, made them appear to be unfree because they were just artisans, have now become supplied by other people who are either using mechanised processes or industrial processes or are treating themselves, in a sense, as a kind of machine. In other words, they're, they're knocking this stuff out for a commercial market. And so, in a sense, you have the, 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 the kind of the, the, the first the first phase of what we would now think of as robotization, which is, which is to say that it's uh, the, the freedom of the artist or the, the alleged freedom or the mythic freedom of the artist as a genius is the product of, uh, of if you like, slicing the studio in half so that one half is now completed by a robot so then the other half can be completed by a genius. Gotcha. So that's why they're two, the two ideas are fundamentally connected. Yes. And this is, this is why when people like um, uh, Cernicek and Williams talk about the robotization as freeing us up, it just feels to me as if we're, t we're again talking about the transition from the artisan workshop to the artist studio, but as if the freedom of the studio is real and is not just a product of the, the mechanization of part of the work of the, of the workshop. So you don't think that if there were all robots making your stuff, we would be free at all? It, it would be well. What the freedom that the artist has yeah. is the product of the mechanisation yeah. or the industrialisation. Yeah. So it's not unrelated to anything. It's so, so yeah. yeah. So you you can't have one without the other. No, I've, I've got, I understand that. That, but yeah, no, I think anyway. And the freedom is a relative freedom. Because it's a, it's only a freedom from those activities, yeah. Which we then, so you take a real freedom, but then you kind of inflate it through discourse into an absolute freedom, right? Um, and and then that that freedom then has to be realised over and over again by different generations. So what seems like freedom from craft in the 18th century, by the 19th century, looks like craft. Right. So, so artists in the 19th century are looking at painting from the 18th century and saying that's still craft. Yeah. 
And so then, the, and so then you get kind of you know realism and impressionism and, and so on and so forth, which which breaks Try, with trying the craft. to free free more. So yeah, so then you you have to free the process of yeah. painting yeah. and then free drawing from craft and so forth until until until. You know, and each generation then looks at that and says, "How can I? F- how can I really free myself from craft?" Because all the generations since the 18th century have thought they were free from craft, and they're not. And and each generation, in a sense, has to rediscover what that would be for themselves. And that's still going on. And it's still going on. And that's so. That is an indication that what we think of as freedom is actually not freedom at all, but is is a kind of uh, relative position taking. So should this freedom that some people have as a, as a, as a misconception, it, it, it should be forgotten about. Well, and we should just be happy to be makers or workers or labourers or n- not worry... This. So should we drop freedom as, an, as well, a notion? I, is that what you mean? No, I think that freedom is, 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 is always going to be a kind of... Uh, th- within the discourse, it's a hyperbole. It's It's... Um, it's it's unwarranted at the level of the discourse and what the discourse says about freedom, but if you go through the discourse to the practices that underpin that discourse, then you find the real freedoms. But the real freedoms are not quite as uh, as uh, as absolute or um, or um, or not quite as efficacious as the idea of freedom. So, so w- one of the things that I'm interested in is looking at the real freedoms, yeah, and seeing and and seeing how there's there's another history, that history which is not a history of, well, it's related to the to the disc- discourse of freedom because they wouldn't happen without it, but it's not reducible to that discourse. And the same with with the concept of the genius, which is, you know, I think when when especially writers in the sixties and seventies when they criticised the concept of the genius, they were looking at the discourse. Instead of looking at the practices, and if you look at the practices and and, and in a sense the real struggles that, that were uh, that were taking place in order for artists to be seen differently, and they're using the concept of the genius in order to change their social position, in order to increase their income, you know, uh, in in order to be uh, to be seen as you know, in a sense, the the, the true heirs of, of, of handicraft in, after the, the rise of industrialization, and so on and so forth. If you look at the real struggles that are going on, then the, then the word genius had a very real material purpose to it. And so if we don't look at those material conditions, then we just think the word genius is wrong. Right. But when we do look at it, we understand its meaning, and then it's, then it's acceptable? Well, I think that it's... It, that's the first step is to is to see how the word is operating within a given context with with actual political stakes you know with with you know if if you want to put it this way you know that people's livelihoods depended on their use of the word genius so if you if you if you just say well that's a mythic idea and and it's unwarranted and and it it's we need to get rid of that idea that's simplistic you can't do that then then it, it, it it's you've isolated the word from the conditions under which it is being yeah. used so you're taking the word out of its context and and in that sense you're always misquoting people 
when you're saying they use the word genius in this way because the only way to really quote them properly is to say they use the word in these circumstances, not that the text says this. Gotcha. And so, and so the word itself has to be understood in terms of uh, how it was circulated and the effects that it had and the purposes that, that it was put to at the time. And so my... And, 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 and also I think that when, when we look back at the discourse of the genius, we're, we, we often look back and translate it to our own conditions and then say, if I use that word now, that would be embarrassing. Or, or that word has now taken on these new meanings and therefore it's unacceptable and it's always been acceptable. And you're, you're kind of stuck in your own context if you're not careful. And I think that the... The, there's, a, there's a richer history of the concept of genius, of the category of genius. Um, and it is related to the, the development of industrialization. And so there's, there's a relationship always between the genius and the machine because the genius is that which the machine can never be. So, the, so, the, so to a certain extent, the genius is the if you want to put it this way, is the humanist concept of what is human. So, the, the, you know, the, the humanist concept in, in the sense that the Enlightenment develops this idea of what it means to be human and what, what humans are capable of and what humans are characterised as. And, and this, is, this is done at a time when, when there is, you know, an increasing suspicion about machines. And also an increasing kind of sublime love of the machine as well, of seeing what machines can do. And to a certain extent, the genius becomes both the progressive and the conservative version of that, which is the progressive version is that the, that the, the, the genius is capable of, uh, of um, originating things, of breaking rules, of doing things on its own, uh, on, under its own steam, so to speak. And the negative thing being that the... That the the, the the genius is 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 this thing that is that is pre-industrial. It's the handmade. It's the uh, it's the uh, it's the sign of the human being in work and so forth. Um, so and the genius takes on both of those things. And but but what they have in common is this antipathy to the machine and ultimately to industrialization and then mechanization and um, and robotization automation. So, so the, the two things have to be thought together, and in, and in a sense, one of the reasons why perhaps we're uh, less inclined to think about the genius these days is because we're not as um, there, there's more um, that there is now a kind of utopia of technology, and so long as technology is your utopia, then you don't need a genius to counteract it, because the technology is doing all the utopia for you. It's a big. That's a new word you brought in there. Utopia. These are these are always. <laughs> I mean, new to this program is what I mean. <laughs> these are these are always um, these discourses on the robot, on the machine, on the genius, on the artist, and on art were always, and I would say, continue to be um, future oriented. That. I don't think you would even bother to talk about any of them if you thought you were describing something that was finished. No. So, so there's always a utopian element of when you, when, you know, like even when someone like Peter Osborne talks about the ontology of art, what art is, 
And so in that sense, it feels descriptive. He's really talking about what it can be. Right. Or, or what it may be, even what, what it should be. Or what we hope it could be. Or yeah. yeah. Work, trying to work out what it should so be. So it's, it's ontology. It's not just tied up with what it has been, but also with what its potential is. Yeah. And, and I think that it's impossible to talk about art without talking about future. And it's impossible to talk about the genius without talking about the future in the way that Jung talks about it as being, in a sense, secured only when a new generation takes up your ideas. Right. You know, so yeah. if, we, if we take that 18th century... You rely century on the future art, for your definition. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So the genius is always future-oriented. And the genius, in, in, insofar as they are you know, reputed to create new things, then they're all future-oriented as well. And so, and so, utopia is, is, is runs through all of these ideas, I right? Think. And and clearly, utopia. A notion runs of through. ideal. Yeah, well, of ideal and progress, and um, of uh, how things could be, yeah. of alternatives to what to what we have, and 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 and, and always in that sense of recognizing the limitations that we have now. And so, utopia is is, is always about. You know, first of all, you recognise the limitation, then you start to try and think about what's beyond that limitation. Yeah. Um, and and in that sense, utopia is always critical, because it's always saying what we can't do now, yeah. or what's um, what's beyond what yeah. we can do now. One one word hasn't been mentioned is gender, because mm. you do mention um, Virginia Woolf, don't you? And and her because w- women as geniuses. Why did you bring her up? Can you remind me? I mean, was it... Well, she, she, she talks about... She says that there were always uh, women that were geniuses, but for them, the, it, was, it was a cruelty. Because to be a, to be a, a genius and a woman um, in the Middle Ages yeah. or in, in the 18th, 19th century right. was a kind of curse. Because, you, you know, she, she, she describes how, you know... A, a, if, you know, she she famously talks about Shakespeare's sister. What if, Shakespeare's a genius. Yeah. What if he had a sister that was equally a genius, and she started to read at home or write at home, and she said her father would grab her by the hair and swing around the room, because that's not what she should be doing, and so she would be forced to do something other than what she's a genius at, and so it would be a curse to be a genius for a woman. Right. But interestingly. This, what this means is that Virginia Woolf is, in fact, arguing in favour of um, the genius and in favour of, um, in a sense, the basis of her, of her uh, argument for uh, what we would now call gender equality would be that now, then we would have more geniuses. Right. <laughs> I think we'll leave it there, Dave. That was brilliant. Um, Thank you very much for coming in and talking about that. Um, I haven't had to say much, which is always a pleasure and a rarity <laughs> in real life. But thanks a lot for coming in, Dave Beach. And Dave, just say again, the, the book that you mentioned at the beginning of the programme, I'd like you to pl- plug it again because it's a good, you know, you deserve so, uh, it. So I'm, uh, I'm writing, this, this is, might not be in it, but this is preparatory to it. Sure. Uh, the book is uh, Art and Post-Capitalism and it's going to be published by Pluto Press in 2019. Fantastic. And, and this um, discussion was based on, as I said at the beginning, a feature in issue 415 of Art Monthly's, which is April edition 2018. And if you wish to subscribe to Art Monthly, you can do it online at www.artmonthly.co.uk. There are various ways of doing it, cheapest one being direct debit. I think it's 39 quid, which we'd love you to do because that's how we survive. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>